Our text for today comes from Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. How's everybody doing? See, just one response. You're all doing horribly. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. I have had a um, the most homebound two days of probably the last year. I just, I literally just stayed at home for two days. It was lovely. I had a fire in the fireplace. I shoveled a little bit. I tried to insulate my Joyce Bays for like 15 minutes, and then I thought, oh, I'm not, if you, I hope you all know what a Joyce Bay is. Uh, but uh, I did that for like 15 minutes, and I was like, I'm going to be done. I'm going to go eat some cheesecake. So I did that too. It was a very restful uh, 36, 48 hours. And so I hope uh, if you didn't have that experience this weekend, you have one coming, because it was good for my soul. It was good for my soul. I just want to say to those of you who came out to our Pathways Gathering last week, thank you for that. It was a really good start. Uh, to what we hope is something that builds a little, bo- a little bit of momentum in our community. We had an opportunity to pray together and receive communion together. It was, it was a really rich time. We'll have our next Pathways gathering uh, on Sunday night in February, and the date's escaping me at this moment, so you can check that out in the bulletin. But uh, we're just, uh, I'm just so happy when we have a little time to breathe, a little time to be together, a little time uh, to pray for one another. I always come away from those experiences um, enriched, enriched, and built up. And so uh, if you haven't had a chance to get to that, uh, I would encourage you to do so. But today, today we're continuing our series that we're starting at the beginning of this year called Foundations, which is all about some of the core values that our church holds uh, as a community of faith. And today we're going over the third one, but I just wanted to reiterate those, the other ones for us. So that first slide, uh, you can see Our first value, the thing we went over uh, two weeks ago, was that we're a church centered in Jesus. We are and will continue to be a Jesus church, finding our life, health, vision, and strength in the person of Jesus Christ. Our second one, you can throw that up there, the life rooted in Scripture. This is what I, if you, you sit there, you see me do this a lot, right? So we put a picture up on the website of me doing that. Uh... Life rooted in Scripture. We affirm that the Scriptures are God's special communication and though diverse in structure and form, uh, diverse in structure, form a coherent authoritative narrative. And today, we're jumping into the third one, relationships formed in community. We value authentic Christian community as the necessary context in which spiritual formation can occur. Now, I've spoken about the importance of community a lot of times. We actually named our church that (laughs) for a reason, surprisingly enough. It's safe to say that it's my life message. Uh, But the longer that I follow Jesus, the more I am convinced that apart from an understanding of who Jesus is, what uh, about his death and resurrection, 
the truths that we know, that we learn about the church, what the church is and how it should function in our lives, is simply the most important thing for a Christian to understand. When Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, he says, love God and love people. This is the most important thing that we humans can possibly do with our lives, to figure out our relationship to God and then to figure out our relationship to other people. This is the big task of all of our lives. And for the follower of Jesus, the primary place that we try and figure out how to love God and love people is the church, the church. It is within the church, within the community of Jesus followers, that we are primarily called to do the joyfully difficult work of learning how to love God and how to love other people. And this is all over the scriptures. It's everywhere. But we sometimes don't notice it all that much. It's expressly taught in our teaching text for today. But before we really jump into the teaching text, I think it's good for us to kind of jump back a little bit in the scriptures to turn as far left as we possibly can in order to see the story that God unfolds and how important this place of relationship, of interpersonal human relationships, what an important role it plays in the creation story. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis. uh, But if you know the story, you can just listen. That'll be good, too. Uh, so the book of Genesis, beginning in chapter two, there's, if you, if you read the creation narrative in Genesis, there's really two creation narratives. The first is a kind of, uh, ancient poem about the story of creation. And the second is a little bit more of a narrative approach. And in, and in Genesis chapter two, we have the narrative section of the story of the creation of the world. And there's, it's this beautiful, ancient, kind of strange story at points of God creating everything from light itself to grass and fish. And at the apex of that creation, humanity. He creates man, uh, a male first, and the Hebrew word for man is Adam, and so the writer of this passage thought, let's not get too cute, we'll just call him Adam, right? Adam. And God quickly realizes that it is, it is bad for this solitary man to be without relationship, and so he creates a woman. And for about 10 seconds in the story, everything is great, right? Everything is perfect. Man and woman are in perfect community, rightly related to each other and to God. Man and woman are given dominion and instructed to be creative and do good work, Right? And God meets with them and walks with them in what's referred to in the scriptures as the cool of the day, which is a beautiful little way of talking about meeting with God, isn't it? And everything is right. Everything is well. Everything is perfect. Can you imagine if you had a perfectly ordered relationship with God and a perfectly ordered relationship with another person, and on top of that, Every day, you did meaningful work that filled your life with significance and purpose, right? And there was never a bad day. It's pretty great. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? But it lasts for about five seconds in the story of Scripture, actually. We don't know how long it actually lasted. But this perfection does not last long. There is this act of disobedience on the human side of the equation of the God-human relationship, and this relationship is fractured. It's broken. God goes looking for Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, that time when he would 
often talk and walk with them, and they choose to hide, signifying the kind of brokenness of their relationship. And this is usually where we stop in church, when we talk about the fall, when we talk about the creation story. We stop here that humanity's relationship with God has been fractured, and now sin has entered the equation, right? Sin has entered the world, and humans' relationship with God is fractured, and we are in need of a restored relationship with God, which is true. This is a very true thing. Jesus did come for that reason, to restore the broken relationship that, that occurred all so long ago and occurs so many times in our lives. But we often forget to mention, when we tell the story of creation and of the fall, that there were other things that were affected as well, right? Humans' fundamental relationship to their work is forever altered. If you read the narrative, God tells Adam that the ground itself, the, and Adam was a farmer, like everybody was until about 100 years ago, uh, that the, the ground itself will now be difficult to work, that there, is some type of, that there is some type of difficulty that enters into the working life of human beings, that it's now no longer this thing that's completely beautiful and completely uh, uh, full with purpose all the time, but there is, there is some struggle put in the middle of it. And then we learn that humans fall out of perfect relationship, not only with God, but with each other. Adam and Eve once walked in the garden as equals before God, without shame and right relationship with each other and with their creator. But after the fall, there is shame and blame and lies. And the scripture even talks about this kind of unnatural hierarchy of man over woman that enters the picture as well. The human-human relationship is just as altered and broken as the human-creator relationship, if we read the story well. And it is not long, just one or two chapter, or just one chapter and about two pages before human relationships have devolved to such an extent that Adam and Eve's son, Cain, kills his brother Abel, right? That, like, that went fast. And when God goes looking for the boys, he asks Cain, where is your brother? And Cain comes back with that famous response, am I my brother's keeper? In the span of three chapters, we go from perfect relationship to intra-family murder. And it's at this point that you're like, my Christmas celebration wasn't that bad, right? <laughs> Nobody got killed over the turkey this year. And if that did happen, I apologize for bringing that up. Human, uh, the reality is, is that the, in this short amount of time, we see how broken the human relationship is. And humanity's relationship with God, humanity's relationship with humanity, and humanity's relationship with its work are in need of redemption and restoration. And when Jesus comes, he proclaims restoration for all of the brokenness in the fall. Not just our, our, our alienation from God, but also our alienation from one another. And the strained relationship we even have with our work, in a sense. God Jesus comes on the scene and proclaims a kind of liberation for all that is broken in the world. And here, I'll show you a little bit of the scriptures. Now, we're going to be taking some large, we're going to be talking about some large-ish portions of scripture in the book of Ephesians today. So if you have a Bible, it might be helpful to open there and underline some things and go back and look later so that you can check my work 
uh, if you want, if you're that type of person that likes to check my work. Uh, but in Ephesians 2, Paul is trying to communicate this to the, communi- uh, to the community of Christians in this ancient city of Ephesus. He's trying to communicate to them all of, all of the things that, that Christ has accomplished, all of the things that Christ's life, death, and resurrection have accomplished for them. This is what he's writing about. And he goes through this long section of Scripture where he's explaining to them, this is, these are the implications of Jesus' life for you. Because there is this thing about being a human being that at times we need to be made aware of the, of the significance that Jesus holds for our individual lives. And so, beginning in uh, Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, this is what Paul says. He says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raises, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. In order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not for yourself. It is the gift of God and not by works so that, uh, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there you see it. It's the restoration of relationship with God through the forgiveness of sins as an act of God's grace, right? This is what, this is what this, the story that we're all familiar with. This is the story that we hear about what Jesus is accomplishing. That Verse 8 specifically is a very famous verse. For it, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, right? And notice verse 10. Notice verse 10 real quick. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to what? Do good works, or do good work maybe, you could even put it, which God prepared for us to advance for, in advance to do. So what is Paul saying? Yes, your work even, the thing that you are called to put your hands to, is restored and redeemed in the person of Christ, right? So we, we call back to that original story. But he goes on, and he says something really interesting. If you skip down to verse 15, he keeps going here about all of the things that are restored in the person of Christ, all of the, all of the newness of life that Christ brings. And in verse 15, he says this, His purpose in doing all this was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Now, stop right there. He's talking about uh, difficulty that's been placed between Jewish people and Gentile people. This was a problem in the early church because Jewish people were the first followers of Jesus, and it made sense because Jesus was a Jewish person, and all of a sudden Gentiles start coming in, and there be, there's starting to be this kind of discord and struggle. And Paul's trying to write to this group of Christians in the city of Ephesus and help them kind of understand how these two groups of people work together, okay? Does that make sense? And what they are supposed to be as a single people. Does that make sense? So he says, when he says that one new humanity out of the two, he means Jews and Gentiles, all right? Thus making, what? Peace. In verse 16, we pick up, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So that hostility that came into the world, right, with Adam and Eve, that that difficulty, that relational breakdown that happened between people 
that it was exemplified by Cain killing Abel, that hostility that fractured humanity and, and broke us up into tribal and territorial people that causes us to kill one another in wars and fight over different swaths of land, all of that strife, all of that difficult, all of that pain, Christ through his cross has made a kind of peace for us, putting to death the hostility that exists between peoples, giving everyone equal access to God the Father all serving the same Father. You see, the church is more than just a place where you come to worship God on Sunday. The church is the redeemed people of God who, through Christ, have been freed from the bondage of sin and death and are now empowered by the Spirit to love God and to love each other. This is what the church is. In Christ, the second Adam, we are able to participate in the restoration of all things, of all things. Healing in our relationships with God. Healing in our human relationships. And the church is the place where uh, supernaturally empowered people, people empowered by the Spirit, work out what it means to love God and love people. Feels pretty simple. Which is why, which is why I think this is important. That the church should primarily should be primarily experienced as a network of relationships centered around the person of Jesus, not as an institution. So first and foremost, I think the church should be experienced by us as a network of relationships centered around the person of Jesus, not as an institution. And for us Americans, this turns out to be pretty difficult because we are really good at interacting with institutions. And we turn out to not be quite as good at interacting with people. Because we've been pre-programmed to treat the church more as an institution we interact with than, we have, than, with, than as relationships we have. We want to treat it like the gym, I think, a lot of times. So I go to the gym because I need to work out. Because it's a good thing for me to do, right? This is why we go to the gym. And I attend church because I believe it is a good thing for my soul. And so I go and I do that. I do spiritual push-ups. I don't do any push-ups, actually. But, but if, if we only experience the church as an institution like the YMCA, we can view relationships as a kind of secondary aspect to our experience. Like, if you get a gym membership, you can go, and you might even have friends there, but the, the relationships you have at the gym are secondary to the 35 minutes you're trying to get in on the elliptical, right? Like, the, the main reason you're going there is for the elliptical machine, or the weights, or I just like to sit on the big bouncy balls and tell people I'm working on my abs, but that's not true. I'm just sitting down. But this is not how we're supposed to think about the church. Actually, in the scriptures, we see that we are supposed to relate to the church not as an institution, but like a family, like a family. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, the early Christians did their best to live as an extended family, caring for, other, caring for each other in the way in which, in that world, extended families did. They called each other brother and sister and really meant it. They lived and prayed and thought like that. Children of the same father, following the same older brother, sharing goods and resources where needs arose. When they talked about love, that's the main thing they meant. Living as a single family, a mutually supporting community. 
the church must never forget that calling. Brothers and sisters, children of the same father, living as a mutually supporting community. You know, I went to a college where uh, we, it was a Christian college, where we called our professors brother and sister. So if you had a professor whose last name was Bradley, it was Brother Bradley. And if you had a professor whose last name was, and she was a female, and her, her name was Williams, it was Sister Williams, which I always thought was funny. Uh, it felt old-timey to me. It wasn't something I enjoyed doing. I, liked, I would have preferred to have just called them professor so-and-so, but we, call, they, we called our professors brother and sister, which was, which was funny to me. And if, you, uh, if you've been in church long enough, you're probably familiar with this, that there, there was a time, probably uh, not that long ago, where people actually referred to each other as brother and sister as a way of communicating this reality, that there was something that bound the people in the church together that was deeper than just the fact that they were in the same room at the same time, but rather that they were a kind of family all serving the same Lord, all under the same head. And this is really what our hearts want, I think, as old-sounding as it can sound to call somebody brother or sister, right? Because what we all want is to belong somewhere, to be loved and accepted, to have some coherent narrative or structure that gives our lives purpose and significance. Even as I stumble all over myself, right, and attempt to make my way as imperfectly as I make it towards Christ, to be a part of a group of people that can help me along in that process. This is what we all want. A group of people who have experienced enough grace to extend grace to me when I miss the mark as well. And this is where our teaching text comes from today, this kind of idea. Because Paul, just uh, a chapter later from the passage we were just reading in Ephesians, expounds on this idea that the church is more than just an institution. It's not a place you go. And in, in the first century, it wasn't a place you go. It was just a group of people. They had nowhere to go, right, except over to each other's houses. They didn't have a building. They didn't have any institution. They weren't even a nonprofit. I don't know how they survived, right? But they were a group of people. And so Paul, speaking to them in chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, beginning in verse 11, says this. So Christ himself gave the, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity, that's a strange word, right, in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, very often, this passage of Scripture is used to talk about how important pastors are. We like to use this passage and talk about how important we are. But that's actually not, if you read the context of this verse, it's actually not about how important pastors are. It's actually how important people are in general. That's what this passage of Scripture is about. How important people are to one another in the church. Notice verse 13 and 14. Unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God go hand in hand, right? And it is other people with whom you live in community, ministering to each other, fulfilling these offices as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, fulfilling those offices 
that support one another and love each other and spur one another on towards this unity, towards this place of the fullness of the measure of Christ. You know, this, uh, this passage doesn't make sense if it's just about a kind of uh, spiritual elite who are called to help people uh, be their best, the, be the best versions of themselves. It doesn't actually make sense if you read it like that. But if you read it as a body of people on a journey together, attempting to reach a kind of unity in, under, the, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, then it makes complete and utter sense. You see, in the kingdom of God, our destinies are inextricably linked together. They just are. And in order for us to live flourishing lives under the rule of King Jesus, we must all strive to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In, in order for me to tap into my redemptive potential, right, is what this means, I have to serve and love you and help you reach your redemptive potential. There are no such thing as individual journeys in the kingdom of God. And in the economy of the kingdom of Jesus, there is simply no such thing as success without my brother and sister's success. There just isn't. Because the whole point of God's plan is not in single individuals being rescued from eternal punishment. This isn't actually the plan if you read it. The point of God's plan is for all the effects of the fall all the dark corners of our broken world, to be redeemed and restored to their original intent. This is the plan of God. And the church is meant to be a place where the redeemed and restored uh, humanity put that on display. They put it on display. This is where the images like a city on a hill come from, because the church is called to be that community that puts on display this new world that is breaking into the old world. These new possibilities that are, com- that are coming, crashing into what we thought was a broken and depraved place. This is what the church is. But the only way that's going to happen is if we intentionally engage with commu- in community with other human beings. We do the hard work of learning how to love God and love people together. And allow the Spirit of God to have his work in our lives through those relationships. And to be honest with you for a second, just completely honest with you, when I read this passage of Scripture, it becomes kind of readily apparent to me, personally, that American Christianity and its viability moving into the future will be based almost solely on its ability to capture this vision of the church. This vision of the church, not as an institution, but as a radical community of interpersonal relationships. That will determine the future and health and the viability of the Christian church. And the reason that is, is because our world is becoming more individualistic every day. And people are becoming more separated. And our phones are making us more fractured and kind of partial and less connected than any generation that has ever walked the face of the earth up until this point. And an alternative way of life that is deeply rooted in community and reality and real relationships 
that is deeply invested in the life of another. That type of radical community will form a kind of beautiful alternative to the way that our world will continually go towards this kind of fractured smartphone thing. I believe it. Where we're all just kind of passive recipients of information rather than partakers in a reality. And if the church in the West is going to be of any value moving forward into the future, we're going to have to present an alternative to the fractured nature of our current society, to the current trajectory of our world that is just becoming so dialed into that thing that I literally have on my pulpit when I preach, right? Because I'm so tied to it. The reality is, the reality is, this is the church that Jesus Christ wants. You know, if we don't first and foremost experience the church as a network of relationships centered around the person of Jesus, then the structure and the organization and the system of the church don't really make sense. They're just a hollow shell. Now, structures and organizations and systems are good, right? They're not, they're not unvaluable things, and they're things we should have. But if they are the thing that propels the organization, then they're meaningless. This is why we have the value of relationships formed in community as a central value in our church. Because authenticity in relationship is paramount in order for what we're doing here to make any sense, to have any meaning. Because it is the people you see in this place who God has strategically placed in your life to help you become all that you were created to be. All that you were created to be. And that may be a scary proposition for some of you, right? The, there's a writer, his name's Kurt Vonnegut. I'm not in the habit of quoting him when I write in sermons because you can look him up and realize why that is. Uh, but he has this amazing quote. Uh, he says this, Humanity is organized into teams. Teams that do God's will without ever discovering that they are, uh, what they are doing. Such a team is called a carass. If you find your life tangled up with somebody else's life for no very logical reasons, that person may be a member of your carass. <laughs> we should have just called the church carass church rather than grace community, but then no one would show up because who really knows what a carass is, right? Now you do, so that's good. Carass church, grace community. Kind of the same idea, actually. You know, the people that you find your life tangled up with are probably, probably put there by God to help you become the person he created you to be. And in order to, know, in order to become the person that, Christ, that God has created you to be, he probably wants you to lean into those relationships. You know, I think we are all, um, we're all kind of preconditioned by junior high and high school to always want to be a part of a group of people that we're not actually a part of. You know what I'm talking about? Were any of you popular in high school? You don't have to raise your hand, because if you do raise your hand, you weren't probably, right? I wasn't. No, not really. I had, every once in a while, I'd have that one friend that I was friends with since third grade, and he was cool, so I would get to hang out with him and hang out with some of his cool friends. But I wasn't really cool. But then I would go home and I'd tell mom 
I wouldn't tell my mom, but I would tell people how cool I thought I was, or at least tell myself. I always wanted to be a part of a group that I wasn't actually a part of, because I thought it would give my life meaning and significance, right? This is kind of how we function. We always want to have that thing, or be a part of that group, or, or to know those people that will help us, right? And get us to where we want to go, or, or help us view ourselves in a certain way that will make us feel significant. But the truth of the matter is, We'll, you know, and we'll always make new relationships and have new experiences, and those things are great. But the truth of the matter is, and I believe this wholeheartedly, that God has put the people in your life that are in your life for a reason, for a purpose. Even the ones you don't like. To help you become the person that he's created you to be. It's just our responsibility to intentionally invest in those relationships. And to allow God to use those relationships to form us. And that's the difficult part, isn't it? That's the difficult part. Because I can use all the relationships in my life to make me a worse person, too. You know what I mean? I can use those relationships and those encounters to make me a bitter person. I can use those relationships and those encounters to make me a judgmental person. People do it all the time. But if I listen and I pay attention to the Spirit speaking to me through those people, I, I can become the person that God has created me to be. And people, other people, are, the, are God's intended tool to make you who, you've, who he's created you to be. And in the church, this becomes so much more intense and personalized because it is the body of Christ that is to be built up. You know, I've never met, I've never seen, sorry, I've never seen a church that was healthy that, was in, that had strong relational ties, that was walking in unity where people weren't, uh, weren't advancing in their lives. But I've never seen a church that was broken, that was fractured, that was arguing, that was fighting, that was ticked off at one another, where anything of kingdom value was really being produced. You know what I mean? The truth of the matter is, is that our destinies are tied up together, whether we like it or not. And the kingdom of God, that strange word that Jesus uses over and over and over again in the Gospels to talk about what he is doing and what he is ushering in, the kingdom of God is this place where people who acknowledge the rule and reign of Jesus are attempting to live lives together and see the kingdom break out in all these interesting ways in their midst. That's what the church is. And that's why the church is first and foremost relationships rather than community. That's why the church is first and foremost a caress rather than an institution. And that's why, hopefully, as our church moves into the future and develops, that we never lose that. That we never lose that peace. That we, that we, never, that we never lose sight of the fact that re relationships are the core of what we do. And that God wants to leverage those relationships to create us or to turn us into a people for his name and for his purpose. That's what, that's what the whole plan is. That's what it means to be a community. That's what it means to be a Christian in community. And that's why, hopefully, as, as the church is an institution, it does have processes and it does have systems and it does have all of the things that organizations have in 21st century America, that all of those organizations and all of those systems and all of those structures all go in towards, are all, 
are all focused on helping people step into biblical relationship with one another, help people step into community with one another. This is part of the reason that we talk about home groups and why we'll be talking about home groups in the coming weeks. Not because um, we, it's good for you to get into someone's house and know about all the stuff they have or something. I don't know. Maybe you're weird. <laughs> but uh, the reason it's important is because the greatest way to build relationship with somebody is to be in their house, right? In the early church, in the book of Acts, it says they, di- they didn't forsake meeting together. And every day they broke bread in each other's homes. Every day, they broke bread in each other's homes. It was because the very fabric of the church was relational. It was relational. And in order to know somebody, hopefully, you can, a little bit, get into their house. You know, look under their sink and see how clean they actually are, right? This is part. So now I'm giving everybody PTSD, and they're never going to want to take part in this. But this is the reality, right? This is the reality of what it means to be people in relationship. And this is what the church is called to do and be. And as God builds the church up, as he does the work of building the church, right? This is what Jesus says is the case. As as Jesus does the work of building his church, it is our responsibility to put on display the new humanity that is breaking out all over the place by making the simple and sometimes mundane little step of stepping into relationship with another and seeing them as God's uh, little gift to you to help you be all that God has created you to be. That's what it means to be a grace community. That's what it means to be a caress. That's what it means to be the church. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for this vision of the church as first and foremost a community, a group of people, God, who have been called together for a purpose, an ecclesia in Greek. And so, Father, we ask that you would build our church into a community, into a church, that you would build unity and strength within this place, that you would help us dive into relationship with one another, that you would heal through those relationships and through the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst, that you would heal us, that you would help us uh, to step into everything that you have for us, that you'd help us to become who you've created us to be, and that this church would bring you glory and honor as we become kingdom as we continue to become kingdom people in relationship under the lordship of king jesus so we pray all of that now in that name in the name of jesus amen and amen and amen go today in the grace and in the peace of the lord jesus christ and don't drive like a bat out of on your way out of the parking lot cuz it's icy all right bat out of church is that what i should have said great uh that's All right, go.